Hi friends, how are you? Um, hope this finds you well. Thank you very much indeed for joining us for another episode of Soundtracking. Um, been really nice feedback on our last few episodes. Um, I got a lovely email from the Abbey Road team about our James Newton Howard episode that we recorded at Abbey Road to celebrate their uh, 90th anniversary, uh, which they're doing across an entire 12 months, quite rightly so. Um, so thank you so much to Team Abbey Road for that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was an absolute treat to not only get time with James, but also to get time with him in the hallowed walls and grounds of Abbey Road. So very much appreciated. Um, also, if anyone follows me on social media, they will know my giddiness um, on Friday when I was, I mean, I was, I was very sure that it wasn't going to happen. Um, but I managed to get 20 minutes with Mr. Steven Spielberg. I'm going to get tell you a little truth here in that after I'd done the interview, which took place around 6pm on Friday night, I went downstairs where my youngest and my husband were sat on the couch watching a Christmas film. Of course they were. And I had a little cry uh, because it was such a big deal for me. I was so just overwhelmed by getting the chance to chat to him. So he is coming up very soon. So, you know, um, once we get John Williams in the bag, if that's ever going to happen. I just sent an email last week, folks, so I do try. Um, it would be amazing. But um, yeah, Steven Spielberg coming soon. Stay tuned to the end of the episode, actually, to find out more. But our latest guest on Soundtracking is, can I just say, was an absolute hoot to hang out with. And I was slightly in awe of him as well because I love his films. Um, and I was slightly nervous about going to chat to him. But he was so much fun. Uh, he's an Italian filmmaker. I adore him, uh, who's brought us 20th century classics, The Consequences of Love and the Great Beauty, amongst many, many other brilliant offerings. Now, his latest movie is also his most personal, the semi-autobiographical The Hand of God, which I have to tell you, you have to see at your earliest convenience. You can watch it on Netflix from December the 15th, but it is out in cinemas now. Plenty more on Paolo Sorrentino uh, and that in just a second. But first, a word from our friends at Noom. Now, I've said this before, but over the past couple of years, I think it's kind of played havoc with my general health as a result of quite a few things, but one of those being my eating habits. And I'm sure I'm not alone. So what to do about it? Well, I remember when I was growing up and I watched my mum and my aunts try pretty much every diet under the sun. There was a different one every month, but nothing really was aimed at the long term. So a few friends of mine, uh, I heard them talking about this thing, Noom, and its psychology-based approach to eating healthier. So I was all ears. Now, when I say psychology-based, it's basically about changing your habits, identifying those things that trigger unhealthy eating and helping you look at ways to change them. So I signed up and I'm a good, actually probably about four months into my new experience now. And I've got to say, I'm thoroughly impressed. I like logging my meals and learning about what might trigger cravings for certain food types um, and various other things that the app gives you the opportunity to do and explore. Because the thing is that we're all such unique beings. Our lifestyles are different and that's where Noom really, really works. It customises a programme specific to you for you. Now, as I said, there is an element of commitment, about 10 minutes a day, but I recognise the importance of that commitment to help take steps to being healthier and have a healthier eating plan. It works on cognitive behaviour to help you on a healthier journey, both in terms of food and exercise. And it's really empowering. It's about educating and training your brain so that it makes the best choices for you. 
to achieve your goals rather than saying things, oh, you can't have that, you can't have this, especially as we're going into Christmas. So I'm learning so much about food, really, what's good for me, what's not. And I find it really fascinating. I want to cut down on sugar. That's a specific for me. And I can already appreciate that I'm doing that by learning about alternatives to reduce the amount of sugar that I take in. And I already feel that it is having a positive impact on my total well-being, my skin, my sleep, my brain. In short, I'm in for the long haul and I'm looking forward to seeing the programme through and making positive changes for good. If you feel like this is something that you could benefit from or you're interested in trying it out, then there's an opportunity for you, our lovely soundtracking listeners, to try it out. Just sign up for your trial and get psychology-based support to lose the weight for good at noom.com forward slash sound. That's N-O-O-M, N for Norman, M for mother, dot com slash sound. Lose the weight for good. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash sound. And so... To Paolo Sorrentino and the Hand of God, which features almost no music. As such, we'll turn to another of his films for our opening cue, which is Moses. I amn't by Mogwai from The Consequences of Love. Paolo, it's so great to get the chance to talk to you. Um, Thank you. And it's so wonderful to meet another collection of characters in your wonderful creativity, because that's one thing that I love about your films is the characters that you've created in those worlds. I kind of just want to spend so much time with them. Thank um, you. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. If you don't mind my starting by asking, when you decided to, to tell this specific story, what was the catalyst to, to wanting to write? Hand of God. I had in my mind for many years uh, this movie, and uh, I decided to do this movie last year uh, because I was uh, 50 years old, and Happy I thought uh, it's uh, yeah, it's important. Um, 50 years old is a, a good moment in order to think about uh, my own life, but probably also. Um, I don't know. I grew up and uh, I was also a little bit tired to do movies uh, following the same uh, rules, the same scheme, same plan that I... Uh, uh, so I decided to do... Uh, I thought it was a, a good moment for me to change uh, 
style to change the tone of mm-hmm. the story that I did uh, until that moment. Yeah. I read a really great thing that you said where the, you said that within every, I wrote it down actually, you said that every story you tell, there is a part of you in it. But with this particularly, this is more of you than we've ever seen in any of your films. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that for many, many filmmakers, um, they put himself hidden in the characters that they develop, and I did the same. But in this case, I decided to to face directly events and anecdotes um, of my life. I don't know. It's something that uh, before or then everybody should do. My mom is one of seven girls. She has six sisters. And I saw so much of my family in in some okay. of those scenes in, in your film. Yeah. It was, And I think that that's, there's so much truth in these characters that you write. You know, the honesty that there is between family, whether people want to hear it or not. You know, sometimes it's a hard truth. Sometimes it's a happy truth. But was it easy for you to write? Because, you know, this is partly your life. This was your family. Uh, for me, writing this movie was very simple because I simply followed my memories. <laughs> and um, and my memories about my childhood and my adolescence were very vivid. I remember very well the things of my childhood and of my adolescence. So it was simple. I, 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 I did a realistic work. I just... Uh, change some things in order to have um, a dramatic develop uh, uh-huh. uh, because I have to obey to some cinematic uh, rules, of course. <laughs> yeah. Because my life uh, is not so important when I was 16, 17, 20. But if I put in a certain way, it will be... I, I can have the, 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 the hope to do a universal story um, from my life. Absolutely. Yeah. What's on the Walkman? It was uh, <laughs> in the 80s, all the younger people had the Walkman. It was the, the most important thing <laughs> that we, we had. Yeah, it's like a friend. Yeah, yeah, Companion. Yeah. I, it, uh, yes, I had always on the, <laughs> I had o- o- even on the, on the Vespa and on the motorbike <laughs> and it was dangerous <laughs> because you don't hear uh, the noise of the traffic, yeah. but uh, um, I had for many, many years, I developed a lot of uh, my first uh, two, three movies uh, hearing <laughs> music <laughs> from the Walkman on the motorbike. It was very inspiring for me. Because I read that you you always have music on when you write. Music is is always around when you when you write. And, and I wondered, have you always done that? What does music do? What does it give you? What is it? How does it inspire you? What's it given you to have it around you the whole time? Because for a lot of people, it could be distracting. No, for me, when I work, the music is very helpful because is uh, can I say, for me, the music increases my emotions. <laughs> mm put me in a condition of uh, onnipotenza. I heard you describe it as almost the same a feeling when you drink wine, but without drinking the wine. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's my conversation <laughs> with, with Thomas, Thomas. Winterberg. Yeah, 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 because... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a really good way of describing it. Yes, it's exactly. Yeah, there is uh, there are some uh, uh, unfortunately short moments in the life of a person where you have the feeling that you the life is beautiful and uh, that um, everybody love uh, each other <laughs> and that you can do whatever is in your mind um, without uh, doing nothing of wrong. They last a uh, few minutes, and uh, these moments uh, for me are, um, yes, through drinking wine, but not too much, otherwise it's a problem, <laughs> and um, listening some music and uh, some moments, but not all the music, it's a long uh, research of the right music. Yeah, how do you decide on what Sometime to listen Sometimes I, I listen 10 seconds of a song, because only that 10 seconds give me that feeling, yeah. How do you decide what to listen to then? Like for, for Hand of God, what were you listening to whilst you were writing the film? For the Hand of God, I didn't put music except a few songs that uh, I found out during the editing, uh, classical music. And then I had in my mind to put uh, the last song at the end. That, that's an historical and famous song for, our, for us in Italy, in Naples, above all. Yeah. How do you come to that decision on where you need music within a film and where you don't? Because... Sometimes, you know, a, a film can be overpowered by music and it can manipulate the audience emotion, but it's used very seldom in this film, but it works so powerfully where you've chosen to put it. How do you come up with a decision on where the music needs to go? In this movie, I have put music just in moments where happen uh, a sort of, uh, yeah, when uh, a perfect life come to him. When uh, he sees, when he looks at the hound that looks at him for the first time in a different way, and uh, when the mother uh, caresses him, and then I think that, uh, yeah, and then when he's going to cry for the loss of uh, parents, just in three moments, in three moments where the life is, uh, uh, how can I say, not perfect, but uh, life is. Uh, the feelings of the life are, are the, the right feelings for that moment. Yeah. Do you remember when you, when you started making films that, and growing up, and you, you, know, you talk about this, the Walkman being a companion, but within film where you realized the importance of music in film and what power music had within filmmaking. Are there certain films or composers that you, you admired when you, were, you started filmmaking? I was very overwhelmed by the use of music of uh, Marty Scorsese. Yeah. Yes, that was my reference. So probably I, the first movie I did, I tried to use the music in that way. And then uh, I, yes, I developed a style. But yeah. Because there's the, in, the, in the film, Once Upon a Time in America is obviously the film that, that is, is referenced in the film. With um, with Morricone's music on, you know, yes, part of that. Yes, which is, you yeah, know. you are right. Also, once you upon a time in America, <laughs> helped me to understand how the music can, how can, how the music can be in that case can be epic. Yeah, can be um, a sort of a compendium of uh, the life of, of the entire life of a man of or of a woman. Yeah.
I had the real pleasure of immersing myself in reminding myself of your great work and rewatching some of your films over the last couple of days before I came to, to see you. And I hope you don't mind if I talk to you about the, the opening scene in Great Beauty, because in terms of music and how music is used, even in the first 15 minutes of that film, it's incredible. You know, you start off with that, with the, the female voice, and then you see the choir of women singing. So you, they're within the film. And then you instantly cut to this party and that track that whenever I hear it in the world now, all I see is your film. Do you mind talking a little bit about the construction of, of that and how much you wrote the music into the script when you were writing that opening? The great beauty is from the beginning, the idea to put together uh, the sacred and the profane of Rome. And uh, this thing happens not only through the life but also through the music so i decided to use from the beginning composers like arvo part like um, david lang uh, that wrote sacred music that i love yeah and that at the same time to put together with the popular uh, commercial music like uh, rafaela carra and bob sinclair, sinclair that yeah. they did that unbelievable song to dance in the life yeah <laughs> I put together yeah, from the beginning it was in the script the mix between uh, the music yeah can was. you remember filming that scene the party scene 
What do you remember from filming that party scene? Ah, it was uh, exactly funny, like uh, like uh, the the scene in the in the movie. We spent three three nights to shoot with every. We shoot with the three cameras in film all the time, and uh, when I went to the editing room, I had uh, ten days of uh, shoot ten 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 days. I don't know one um, hundred hours. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> wow. We we spent uh, two weeks to cut that scene, and after one week, the people in the building come to us and say you you have to leave <laughs> we are, we are tired to hear uh, uh Garra all day from the 8 in the morning until uh, 7 uh, p.m. we you have to you have, you have to go <laughs> you are out of the building Get out. yeah and we 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 said oh, we are finishing please please another week and we are done. yeah it's so clever though because when tony's character where he where jep he does that the little shimmy round to camera you know you see his back and then it's in time with the music as he shimmies around and you have the mariachi band who pop up every now and again and then you have that really clever moment where well lots of clever moments but where the burlesque dancer is in the box and and it goes mute and she has her own music and it's just the bass and it it's almost like you zoom in on certain characters so that us as the audience are kind of going almost as if we're looking across the audience the crowd's going oh there's that person i know it's so clever thank it's you so, thank so you clever. very much thank you very much and it was such a joy to get to watch it again as well it's yeah it's, it's it was amazing <laughs> yeah thank you yeah thank you. i wanted to talk as well about the idea that for each film the relationship that your film has with music is very different. It's very unique. Yeah, I, I don't know. I um, For The Greater Beauty, there was this uh, conceptual idea to put sacred and profane music for other movies. Uh, yeah, when I did Youth, I found out this wonderful uh, songwriter, Mark Kozelek, and I asked him to play himself in the movie. Contained in everything I do There's a love I feel for you Proclaimed in everything I write You're the light burning brightly I follow, uh, what can I say, 
the love that I, I have in that moment uh, for the music and um, I don't know I, I don't know it's it's uh, some sometime there is a thought to some other uh, for other movies uh, simply I followed my love for the music that I was hearing in that moment my second movie consequences of love I was a good uh, I had a, a, a big knowledge of electronic music because uh, in that moment the electronic music was something of important. Yeah. And so I put a lot of electronic music, but just because I was uh, hearing that music in that moment. Yeah. To, do you have to hold yourself back from putting your own personal choices in there to make sure that they're right? It's right for the character, be it existing music or original score. No, I always follow my personal taste. No, no, I, if uh, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> I never put the music because it's the right music for that scene. Yeah, mm, but it must be the music that I love. Yeah. I don't care if the music is right or not for a scene, but uh, uh, if it's a music that I love, I think that it will be uh, the right music for that scene, yeah. That's amazing because the music that you've used across your films is such an eclectic taste of, of music. And I've got two kids and they don't think about music as genre. Genre and music is not, they don't yes. know what that is. And that's so healthy, yeah. so healthy. And I feel that that's, you, you're not into a type of music. There are so many different types of music within your films. And there's yeah. a great double vinyl of the music from your films as well, which if people listening don't have it, they should get it because it's, it's a great listen. Yeah. Is that important for you in, in terms of your films? And you talk about this film being a different direction, but with music, it's really important for you to be open-minded and to allow new experiences and influences to come in with music. Yes, I... <sighs> I love all kinds of music. Just maybe jets. I am not a big fan. <laughs> Just music. Yeah, but but uh, no, uh, no. I I listen jazz music. I am not uh, sure that jazz works for my movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, it's not circular. It's a music that goes too much around, and so I am not sure that it works for my movies. But. Uh, I am always looking for new kind of music, new genres. Genres, yeah. Yeah, for me there are two. There are not enough genres of music. Yeah, <laughs> that's my problem. That <laughs> yeah. I would love to have more genres of music. <laughs> yeah. Now I am listening a lot of. Uh, my my son teaches me about a lot of uh, trap music, mm -hmm. American trap music, and uh, at the beginning I was uh, skeptical, but suddenly I understood that there are beautiful and wonderful things inside that kind of music. Yeah. Great storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. What music do you remember from this time when Hand of God is set? When I wrote uh, uh, The Hand of God, I listened to one song. 
always the same song that I, I I had in my mind to put at the end of the movie, but then I changed my mind. And it was a, a very simple song of of a, a musical group called uh, This Is The Kit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the song is Bulletproof. Oh, wow. The title, yeah. I heard uh, one, 2,000 times yeah. during the, the writing of the movie. Because this is the kit, or they're not a band. She's not from the 80s, she's from. Yeah, now. from now, from yeah. now. Yeah, but I was hearing Spotify. I I listened to that song, and that song gave me the right mood in order to write the script. Yeah. Swim the tide is coming in. We spent too long watching. interesting because you'd, you'd imagine that it would be something from that time period that would be you know the way that music can remind you of moments or yeah. feelings or experiences no. or people no I, I don't know why but uh, wow. <laughs> yeah I don't know why but no I didn't no no I, I, uh, no it, it, was, it was not in my mind I don't like too much uh, as audience as a spectator the movies the period of movie where there is this big uh, repertoire of uh, the period uh, music you know yeah. what i mean uh i don't love too much that kind of movies because the movie looks like uh, a, a pretext to put the music of the 70 of the 60 of the 50 and um so it looks like a sort of um, yeah i don't love so i decided to not put music of that period is that why you, you you don't work with composers in the kind of traditional sense as to where the way a lot of filmmakers work with composers, you know, in terms of creating a suite to accompany a film? My problem with the composer, permaloso, come si dice in inglese? Uh, they get offended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I put a lot of repertoire music yeah. and <laughs> sometimes the composer say, but I have done something better than that. <laughs> that's not my, that's not the composer that's good for me <laughs> yeah. because it embarrasses me. I changed sometimes composers exactly for this reason because the composer asked me to try to put his song instead of... Uh, Talking Heads song, and I was forced to say, You must realize that the Talking Heads are better than you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's not easy to say to a composer this kind of stuff. They are jealous, they are offended. They... Yeah, it happens. But you know what? So for me, the best composer is my, my, my friend Lele Marchitelli, that is very calm and quiet uh, mm-hmm. he knows that some things he's able to do some things is better if I of course he's very smart and he knows that the Rolling Stones are Rolling Stones and uh, you can't reply the Rolling Stones music for example yeah. I do an example because I never use the Rolling Stones because they are too expensive <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> only Martin Scorsese gets to use the Rolling just, Stones just yeah. I actually I asked I, I, I was lucky enough to interview Mick Jagger once and I asked Mick Jagger if 
Martin Scorsese still has to ask permission and pay for it. Uh, and he was like, yeah, of course he does. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When, when I was young, <laughs> when I was young, it was the first movie I did. I had the idea to put one uh, Rolling Stones uh, song. But I was, uh, it was my first movie. <laughs> I don't know who an agent said, okay, give me um, $100,000. And then I asked to the Rolling Stones if they want to put the song. But before uh, starting wow. to talk, you have to give me money. I don't know who he was, probably uh, <laughs> not the real agent of Rolling Stones. I don't know. <laughs> wow. My kids wanted me to ask you, because I was telling them about the film, they wanted to ask if you met Maradona. I met him once during uh, a break of a football uh, match, but very shortly he was distracted uh, and uh, I didn't have the chance to talk with him as I had the desire to do. Yeah. There was many people, uh, of course, uh, the, the crowd uh, go to him. It was not easy. Yeah. I think there's, there are so many lovely things about this film that are universal to so many people. And I grew up my my dad is a huge football fan um, and he used to take me to Old Trafford to watch Man United all the time. And when Cantona came, I had a similar, Cantona for me was, was your Maradona really, you yeah, know. And yeah. so all those kind of little things about your film, there are, there are so many lovely threads that so many people I think will connect to when they get the chance to, to yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you but, still love football as much? Excuse me? Do you still love football as much? I I still love football. Yeah, 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 I love football. I spend a lot of time to see football matches. Yeah. Yeah. The bad thing of this uh, travel that Katie forces me to do <laughs> is that I can see all my favorite uh, football matches. <laughs> it's in the schedule. Day off to watch yeah. a football match. Next step that I ask uh, a way to see football matches everywhere. Yeah. My next request to, to Netflix. <laughs> do you know what's next? You know no, I don't. No. no, I don't. I don't. No, no, now we are focused on yeah. on this movie and uh, I think it's, it's, it's right to do this. Yeah. It's a real pleasure to get the chance to talk to you. Oh, and, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I'm, yeah, and I, I can't wait to, to, um, to meet more of your characters that you create because they, they are much. just wonderful to watch. Thank you thank very you. much. Thanks, thank Pavel. you. Thank, thank you. you. score to the great beauty that brainwaves rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Paolo Sorrentino. My huge thanks to Paolo for taking the time to talk to us. The Hand of God is available on Netflix from December the 15th and is also available to watch in cinemas as of now. So if you get the chance, please do go and see it. Head to edithbowman.com to hear every single episode of the podcast, including my chat with Asif Kapadia about his Diego Maradona documentary. 
Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Next up, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one and only Mr. Steven Spielberg. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you.